This is The Saucer Life, a podcast uh, which looks at, what, the history and lore of flying saucers, no belief, no debunking, snark when justified. I don't have the actual copy of the usual intro in front of me because all I've got in front of me are screenshots of your questions that you asked for this, the second and concluding part of our, um, our Ask Me Anything show so um that was a that was a wonderful shaky introduction so um let's go ahead and get started now as before um just uh, just a sort of setting out of of the, the ground rules that that makes it sound like there are actual rules there aren't aren't actual rules this is the conditions under which i'm doing this i uh, i'm not doing any research on these this is uh, this is again simulating what it would be like if if we were sitting in a bar or something and you were peppering me with questions so if i don't know something or there's something that i haven't heard of i will i will say so and if it's something that's interesting enough i will look into it at some point probably uh, let's start with a question from joshua he asks I, I think this is the next question. I um, I forgot the last question I looked at in my list. So if there's um, if there are some reruns, uh, I, I maybe I'll have completely different answers. Who knows? But uh, Joshua asks, are there any UFO stories that actually scare you? Oh, that's that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I think. I would have to say there, there, there's a couple things here. One is um, from the beginning of of looking at this when I was uh, when I was a, a, a youngster. Um, I, I think the just the sheer body horror of some of the abduction stories I always found I always found disturbing. But UFO stories that scare me, I'm, I'm sort of taking that in the sense of what would I not want to have happen to me um, and, and stories that, that kind of uh, that kind of approach that. And I would not want to be abducted, whether it's by aliens or by the military intelligence community or by um, by anything else, of course. But I think what would freak me out most if it were to occur to me are these encounters, these sort of strange encounters that happen in the dark, out in the middle of nowhere with nobody around where I would be driving and in the middle of the night or something. And then I see something or a craft lands. I maybe see a creature. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. My brain can't process it. That, that feeling of being completely bewildered and sort of vulnerable to this unknown something i i find that uh, I, I find that very uh very very, very troubling and uh kind of scary in a way that is um is a little different from the uh you know oh they're putting the probe in my nose and you know drilling my teeth or something like that so yeah yeah bizarre encounters in the middle of nowhere at night um and knowing that even if i could explain to somebody what was happening to me that they probably wouldn't believe me that uh that that sort of that sort of is at the top for troubling and disturbing things okay next up a uh, question from will when will there be a shag harbor episode or two i mean you even went there for pete's sake yeah i've uh, i've been there twice uh once for the 50th anniversary conference that i spoke at and another time when i was in um nova scotia for another conference i i went out and visited the uh the museum talked to uh lori wickens who's one of the the witnesses um shag harbor episode uh sometime this year um probably probably september or 
October, actually probably October. I think that's around the anniversary. So, um, yeah, there is uh, Shag Harbor is absolutely on the list. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting case um, as far as as UFO crash cases go. Um, it's probably um, the one I find the most interesting. Kenny asks um, or says and asks, uh, Kenneth Arnold accidentally gave the world the phrase flying saucers. Is there a count or person that you think deserves a bit more coverage in the mainstream? There have been some very flowery accounts of encounters on your show that might rate highly. Um, I uh, deserve more coverage in the mainstream. I, I, I'm going to assume you mean the mainstream of everything rather than the mainstream of UFOs. Um, but I think my answer would be the same no matter which mainstream we're talking about. I, I, I think I think the contactee stuff needs to be more um, more prominent. I, I think not just because it's interesting and entertaining, but because it um, it, it would provide a a broader picture of the array of UFO stories that are that that are that are in in the the sort of canon of of UFO stories. We we went through phases of uh, where where the predominant image was mechanical flying saucers, and then we went through a um, you know a phase where abductions were um, were sort of de rigueur and um, and, uh, and, and crashes and now, you know, blurry videos from the Navy or something. Um, but contactees have always been this sort of, this sort of little sort of walled off cul-de-sac in, in a lot of ways. Um, as far as, as, um, a, a specific one that I think would be nice if it was more well known. Um, I, I think the whole Reinhold Schmidt thing needs to be, um, needs to be a movie of some kind. I think it would be really good and probably very funny. And we can have the whole thing with Ron Ormond making the, um, the, the film and the, the scams and the trial and, and all of this. I think a Reinhold Schmidt movie would be, would be great. I can see why sort of hardcore UFO people wouldn't like that because you, you don't want sort of the, the big prominent case to be, an obvious grift. Um, I suppose you want them to be less obvious grifts, I guess. But um, yeah, my, my answer for almost anything related to, you know, favorite, what deserves more attention? What do you think people should be talking about more? It will almost always be Reinhold Schmidt. Um, I, I just, I love Reinhold Schmidt. I, I think that's a, the whole story is just, is just great. Okay, the first of several questions from Lester. Uh, some contactees have FBI files, prison records, etc., which have CIA files or ought to. Did Schmidt sell dodgy crystals to the CIA? Does Commander X have a CIA or DIA file? Do Orthon or Valiant Thor have files with some agency? That's an interesting question. I, um, I've not done much FOIA stuff from the CIA. My attempts have been unsuccessful. When I've tried, I probably need to um, to ask Jack Brewer for some advice because he uh, he's filing FOIA requests with everybody all the time. Um, I tried to get uh, the PK man's CIA records, see if they had anything on him since he was corresponding with people in the CIA um, as described in his FBI file. But um, the CIA said they had no information on him, no files on him or anything like that. As far as, um, contactees that have CIA files, um, it would be ones who were, um, probably the ones who, who traveled overseas quite a bit. Um, we'll sort of set aside the fact that the, the CIA at times in the fifties and sixties and seventies and golly, maybe today, uh, didn't entirely, um, obey its remit to, um, keep their activities outside the borders. But, um, I think, uh, George Adamski probably had one. He was traveling overseas quite a bit and, um, saying things that were 
possibly politically um, sensitive at the time. They might have wondered if anybody was um, trying to use him to convey certain messages or to influence things one way or the other. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if George Hunt Williamson had one. Um, mostly beca- because overseas stuff and also connections with uh with with William Dudley Pelly maybe um i need to uh, need to file some requests i guess um, but yeah I, I think i think adamski is definitely one who uh, who did it, it might not have a lot of stuff in it it might mostly be reports of sometimes you get these cia files and you know, the things that were classified and you had to go through channels to get is just a folder full of news clippings, which is always sort of, um, sort of frustrating. It's like, I I have all these things. These are, these are not classified. Um, but yeah, I should, I should file some requests that would, that could be, uh, that could be illuminating. Maynard asks, what is the best music clip with a UAP theme? Oh, UAP. Uh, only you, Ringo, is that you, Modine, B-52s, the theme to Ger- Jerry Anderson's UFO, or just three that come to mind for starters? Could be a saucer summer special in that for you, too. It could be. Music is difficult on podcasts because um, uh, copyright and things like that. But um, my favorite UFO-themed music tends to be, I like the 1950s um, sort of novelty stuff that um that uh that addresses the topic uh, the buchanan brothers with their uh their flying saucer song and also their their atomic bomb song which I, I first heard when i i was in college and watched the documentary atomic cafe which i highly recommend that's a, a fun one sort of a found footage documentary of the um the early cold war um Oh, 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 what, what's the other one? Attention, uh, calling occupants of interplan- interplanetary craft. Um, that one, the, the sort of Carpenter's version of that is just strange. There's a lot of UFO-themed music out there. Um, the British folk rock band Fairport Convention had one on their last song about a um, a case in, uh, in Britain in the 50s. That was kind of a, a, a fun little fun little song so lots of good ufo music i can just never think of it when i'm asked about it really next question is from derek uh founders or bells <laughs> um okay so so that th- th- that refers to michigan breweries uh founders brewing and uh bells and um this this used to be a, an easier question for me because uh founders had um sold out to international concerns and was no longer a, a, a sort of technically a craft brewery while Bell's still was. But with Larry Bell's re- recent retirement, uh, Bell's has sold, um, I think, at least a portion to um, one of these international concerns. So now they are on sort of a, uh, a, a, a the same playing field. I would always say Bell's because Bell's was still independent and Founders wasn't. But just looking at the beers, gosh, that's tough. Bell's uh, Two-Hearted Ale, their IPA, is regularly at the top of charts for um, one of America's best beers. Uh, Founders has some amazing beers. Their their breakfast stout is glorious. Um, their variations on that are all great. Their Canadian uh, breakfast stout with maple syrup, their... Um, there are Kentucky breakfast out that's, that's aged in bourbon barrels. Those are all those are all great. Um, but for me, it, it comes down to um, if which of these has one beer that I like better than almost any other beer, and that will be the winning company, and that's Bell's uh, because of their uh, their Hop Slam double IPA with honey in it that uh, that comes out every uh, every January or so. I love Hop Slam. I just wish it wasn't so expensive, but it's like 10% alcohol. So, you know, I, it's probably good. It's expensive. So I don't, uh, don't drink too much of it at one time. So Bell's narrowly, and it comes down to the existence of Hop Slam, which I like better than any individual beer from, from founders. Uh, as, um, but I have to say probably, my favorite Michigan brewery is, is probably Brewery Vivant from Grand Rapids. They do a lot of 
Belgian themed things. And their, uh, their restaurant is, um, is amazing. Um, I, their burger is incredible. Uh, my brother-in-law had their duck confit nachos, which I need to try. So, um, although that might be a little, a little rich and heavy for me. Um, I'm not sure I'm a duck confit person. Christopher says, do you think we're being encouraged to think of UFOs as solely extraterrestrial? Well, I'll take that part first. Yes. I, I think that is, and, and it's not just the pop culture that does it I, I, and, and ufology that does it. It's, it's everywhere. Um, strange things in the sky. The assumption is going to be these are extraterrestrial. News stories will be built around that, that concept because it attracts attention. People have been conditioned to think of this through of, the, um, of them that way since, since the forties, right? So yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're being encouraged. I don't necessarily, um, know whether or not it's a concerted effort by shadowy forces to make us all think that, um, if it is, I wouldn't be surprised, but, uh, but who knows, um, what do you think the odds are that the answer is a breakaway civilization or other crypto terrestrial? Um, I, I, I think, I, I think the odds aren't aren't zero. I, I, I think it's entirely possible. Um, I don't know. It would be one of those things that would be very, very fascinating to find out if it were true. Um, mostly because the space alien people would be really, really upset by it, which is always a bonus. Of course, it's also entirely possible that and and probable that what people have seen and labeled as ufos over the years come from a variety of sources um some could be aliens some could be hidden civilizations here on earth some i don't know could be the planet venus or something like that interdimensional stuff all the all the possibilities but um i do like the hidden civilization on earth has been advancing technology unseen by almost everyone um, for millennia. I like that, um, that notion. James Polk, uh, says, uh, thank you, Mr. President for listening. Uh, have you noticed that big UFO revelations seem to occur around the time federal elections are getting warmed up? Tom DeLong started making noise during the run-up to the presidential contest between Ms. Clinton and Mr. Trump. I seem to recall that he was suggesting that when Clinton took office, there would finally be a revelation about the subject. Of course, the wrong candidate won, and DeLong kind of vanished for a while. Now we're in the run-up to the 2024 elections, ick, agreed, and all this stuff is in the news again. How likely is it that some political consultant believes that UFO stories will influence a small group of people to vote for candidate X and have no more significance than that? Are we still being manipulated? I think that is very likely. I, I think that there is there are people in politics who believe that that the UFO vote is uh, partic- in particular the disclosure vote is um, is is worth going after. As I'm recording this, uh, the um, or at least recording this question, the um, the hearings have begun. The new hearings in Congress uh, from whatever committee is doing those hearings and and yes it's it's uh we're coming up on an election year i think there are people who think the disclosure vote is worth is worth courting why um that's a good question i i think there are there are political and cultural reasons that some in politics are working to um, erode faith in institutions, erode trust in institutions. And this is another sort of strand to that bow, if you will. Um, that's, I, I kind of go into this a little bit on the most recent bonus episode over on the Patreon, um, a, a little bit. Uh, but basically, I, 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 I'm concerned about the erosion of, of trust in, in expertise and, um, and things and institutions. Um, I, I, am a big fan of, of stability and, uh, and, and things like that. So, um, and, uh, my, 
my recent appearance on uh, Expanding Frontiers show with Erica Lukes and uh, Jack Brewer. Uh, I talked about this as well. So I've got more extensive thoughts on it uh, on it there. But yes, the answer is, is yes to both. Um, how likely is it that a political consultant believes this will attract people? Um, and are we still being manipulated? Manipulated? Yes. And yes. Britannia fan says, I love the show and would like to know if you plan to cover any more British cases. Yes. Um, on the list is the, uh, the, the, um, oh, Penning, Penning, Pennine. Uh, I've never heard anybody say it. So, um, that case, um, there is also, there, there's a couple that I can't remember. Can't remember what they are offhand, but the answer is yes. And uh, I am planning on doing a zine scene episode with um, the classic, some issues of the classic British um, flying saucer review. So more British stuff coming up. Absolutely. Uh, old Wasatch on Instagram says, I'd like to hear a, a deep dive into the Dugway Utah military base. Rumor has it they're doing more there than at Area 51. Yeah, Dugway is um i keep saying things are on the list it's kind of cliche but they it is on the list i've got a very long list um and uh and and yeah it's it's about time to return to some underground base stuff on the show um so um or secret base stuff whether or not they're underground so um i'd love to hear that too so i should probably do it Okay, uh, let's take a break. I think this is about halfway um, halfway through the remaining questions. Um, if you like the show and would like to support it in exchange for extra stuff, um, little extended sort of discussions after the episode about things, um, bonus episodes every month, other stuff, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Chizo media uh, we are on um, social media as the saucer life podcast on facebook um, at saucer life on instagram and um, at saucer life on twitter slash x we're supposed to start calling it i'm not going to do that um yeah if, if you have anything uh, email uh, the saucer life at gmail.com uh life.com has uh, every old episode for you to listen to and you can also get to them through your uh, your favorite podcast uh app um, if you have anything physical you'd like to send us you can do so at p.o box 68 grand blank michigan 48480 um I, again, did that off the top of my head without the actual usual text in front of me. So I think I, um, I, think I got everything. So um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your reviews and ratings on um, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you review and rate us. And um, yeah, let's get, uh, let's get back to some more questions. Okay, the Biofort bi, mm, I can't talk. Biofortian want ads say I encourage everyone to do this. What's your want list? And and they provide an example of a a want list, uh, information on on events, um, cryptozoological events, and, and Fortian events, uh, books, articles, interviews that um, that they've uh, that they've heard about but wanting to uh wanting to experience for themselves and this list is sort of updated with interlibrary loan requests sent on a certain day etc and and ask you know what's and they ask what's on my want list and and this is a great idea and i've done it a few times never in a um never in a really organized way usually i do it when i i know i'm going to be in an area where i will be hitting used bookstores and things like that so my want list um this is why I should write it down because I always forget things that I'm I'm looking for, and at this point, oh gosh, the bookshelf is full. Uh, so um, I'm I'm pretty selective about UFO books I buy. That that's actually not entirely true, but I have gotten to the point, and I I I don't know if anybody else ever does this. I've gotten to the point where I forget what I have, 
sometimes, and uh, I've, and so I've I've bought duplicates, uh, especially those sort of sixties sixties um, and seventies paperbacks that have covers that all sort of look the same. Um, so I, I I do need to have a want list, and I do need to keep it updated, and I, I do need to sort of continue to update the um, the um, records I have on on books I actually own. I use an app called Libib that um, that lets me do that. Um, actually, I'm paying nine bucks a month for the like deluxe version that I don't use much, so I, I really need to. Um, figure out how to cancel that. But uh, actually I do use it because that one lets you search for books by library of Congress number, which is really useful um, for books that came out before the ISBN number was standard. Anyway, that's a bit of a digression. What's on my want list? Okay. Um, First of all, pretty much, um, pretty much everything that um, Laura Mundo has ever written it's hard to uh, it's hard to, to to get a hold of a lot of that stuff. A lot of it was was privately published and things like that. So um, those would be nice. Um, anything newsletters or anything from the Detroit Flying Saucer Club. Um, I'm always on the lookout for um, magazines, especially magazines from the 70s and 80s and 90s that I might not have seen. Uh, I and I, I'm not picky. I, if I can find an electronic version of these things, that's just as good and and saves on space. I'm really hoping UFO Magazine puts more of their early issues up for sale as uh, as PDFs. Um, at this point, as far as an actual organized want list goes, it's it's weird. I don't know what I don't want because the things that I the things that I want are things I don't know about. That doesn't make any sense, but. Um, it, newsletters and magazines that I've not heard of that aren't uh, archived somewhere. Um, correspondence between UFO people is always good. Um, and contactees that I've never heard of. So finding contactees that I've never previously heard of or books they've written, that's um, that, that's what's on my want list. And I, I need to get more organized about it. I, I need to go through uh, Bishop and Go Rightly's uh, A for Adamski book. And just make a list of of UFO contactee people that um, might have written things, and then try to find those things. It's not a very satisfying answer, is it? But um, yeah, the things I want are things I don't know exist, and then I learn they exist, and then I want them. Unfortunately, sometimes I learn they exist by finding them in a store or online or something. So um, yeah, I'm not as organized about it as I should be. All right. Next question is from Jody. Uh, if aliens are real, do you want them to land on the White House lawn or have them contact you directly and why? I used to think they should go big, but now I'm not so sure. I would like to have them contact me directly um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is I don't want I don't want it to be mediated between I, I don't want my knowledge that aliens are real mediated by the government and the media because the, the topic is so fraught with um, nonsense over the last 70 or so years that um, the, the, the noise to signal ratio of the message from the aliens or whatever and what we're told about it and what UFO people think as they debate everything, it would just, I'm not sure it would be wildly different than what we have now. Um, but I, I would like them to contact me directly because then I would be a contactee and that would sort of be the culmination of, of all of this. It would be a, a nice sort of poetic end to um, my occasional snark about contactees. Um, I would like to be a contactee. I, I would write a contact book. I would, um, I would do uh, I would do the whole thing and I would get their message out to the people unless it was a message that was um, really kind of like boring. I wouldn't try to get a boring message out to the people. So what I would do is I would uh, I would juice it up with additional stuff to make it more entertaining and, and probably appeal to more people. But I would like to be contacted directly and I would like to become a contactee. So I will make this pledge to you all right now. If I ever discuss 
meeting a space alien and the messages they told me, you will know it's real because I, I am pledging that to you. I might, I, I might, you know, twist the details a little bit, but what contactee doesn't? Danny asks, favorite 50s saucers movie, movies, and maybe discuss how they were influenced by contactees and how they in turn impacted actual reports. Um, there's a couple that, that stand out. Um, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You ever blank on a name? of something uh, it, it, it'll come the one with the one with Klaatu the, the one with Kla, Klaatu is, is probably what is that called I I can't remember it um I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to actually google that that's uh very embarrassing the one with Klaatu uh while I'm googling that uh I will say I really like this island earth I think it has um kind of a kind of a, a contacty vibe to it uh with um the, uh, the the guys sort of sort of con well, contacting them and oh the day the earth stood still that's the name of it uh, the day the earth stood still I, I can't believe I couldn't remember that that's very embarrassing um, that one is is good because there's the message to mankind and and all that and I think that one probably influenced contactees but it, it definitely I would be very surprised if the people behind it weren't um, involved in contactee stuff. I don't know the history of the production of it, so I, I can't say for sure. This Island Earth, um, with the aliens giving us information on technology to build, to, uh, to communicate with them, uh, that has a very contactee vibe. The interocitor, even the, the word interocitor sounds like something that would show up in a, uh, in a contactee tale. Um, other ones oh gosh i'm trying to think teenagers from outer space that one uh, that one is a fun one especially since the teenagers all look like they're about 35 um that one it doesn't oh you've got good guys and bad guys aliens in that one but i do like how the one good nice alien guy befriends the young people and uh and it's been a long time since i've seen that one um befriends the young people i, th I think that's uh very again friendly human outer space person um, but the the bad outer space people you need some drama in the show so um so there we go so 50 saucer movies oh plan nine i i think i don't think plan nine has much of a connection to um to contact these stuff but uh it's one of my favorite saucer movies um yeah yeah that's uh yeah there we go and another question from Lester. Uh, do you suppose Otis T. Carr got any money out of DARPA? It's no weirder than staring at goats, is it? Oh, that's that that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. If if any of the the UFO flying saucer scammer people the 1950s were uh, were, were part of a a wider effort. I mean, tongue in cheek, yes, is his um, you know, flying device was uh or whatever Otis T car was up to. I can't remember anything today. Um, being funded by the government as a, as a black project is, is a, a funny idea, but um, yeah, I wonder if, I wonder if they were hooked up with any of the, uh, the old school flying saucer folks. That's uh that's a good question. As is this question um, from patron JFE 1138. Aaron, have you ever had an experience of any kind? Um, a couple years ago, I think two years ago, I was um, down in Point Pleasant. This is the, the closest. This is lame. But this is the closest thing to, uh, to an experience I've had, an experience I can't explain that I've had. I was down in, in Point Pleasant. I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the show before. I think I have. And I was in the TNT area uh, looking at the, the bunkers and stuff like that. And I was driving down the, uh, the, the sort of dirt road that's, that's part of that area. And there was a, I noticed a car behind me and it was sort of tailgating me. So I, I found a reason to turn off and let them get ahead of me. Right. So I noticed it go by and then I pulled out after it. It's, um, a black Cadillac and I can't remember what kind of license plate it had. I can't remember what the people looked like driving it. But all I can 
remember is that I was following it down the road and it went over a hill and around the corner and I went over the hill and around the corner right after it and it wasn't there anymore. Um, and with the condition of the road, there's, there's no way it could have gotten out of my sight that quickly. Um, it was a very strange experience and I, I did sort of notify people, um, some friends as soon as it happened, uh, because, um, it was, it was weird and it was creepy as a black Cadillac and I was in Point Pleasant. So the men in black were the first thing I thought of. I I'm sure it's something where I don't know what it is. It was very strange, but, um, I don't know. It, it's so strange that I can't visualize even right at the, the time it happened, I, I couldn't visualize, you know, what the people in the car looked like, what kind of license plate it had. I, I, I don't know. That was, that was strange. So that's, that's the closest thing to an experience, an unexplainable experience that I've had. Um, also from Patreon, uh, Stella asks, what paranormal phenomenon do you give the highest credence? Oh, that is a really good question. I'm not sure it could be considered a paranormal phenomenon, but the theory about various paranormal phenomenons that I tend to think is most worth looking into is the idea that, that at least some subset of UFO sightings, encounters, um, ghost stuff, even cryptids uh, might be the result of a layer of reality or an intersection between the dimensions that we just don't understand yet and might not have um, the means to fully explore. Um, sort of like John Keel's, you know, thin areas or window areas or something like that. I think, I think it's, that's a sort of explanation that, um, or a phenomenon or, or an explanation for the phenomenon that could encompass a wide variety of different things and give them sort of a unifying origin in some cases. Um, so I, I think that one, if not a credible idea, it's the one that I find the most interesting and possibly the most, um, scientifically beneficial thing we could we could find out about uh, about about these things um i'm increasingly unconvinced that ufos are necessarily nuts and bolts flying craft from other planets um i think that's still a possibility but i think other things are possibly more possible possibly more possible that's the kind of um intelligent commentary uh, for which you come here, but, uh, window areas, overlapping dimensions, that kind of, of thing is, I, I find that idea interesting and credible and worth exploring. Of course, I have no idea how to explore that. Um, but, uh, probably actual scientists do. Okay. Glenn asks some follow-up questions from the first AMA. He says, rank the following doctors, Pertwee, Baker Davison. And do you have a favorite episode from one of them? Uh, I assume he means Tom Baker, not Colin Baker. Um, since they came in that order. Uh, I like Dr. Who questions. Okay. Pertwee Baker Davison. That's a tough one. Um, Pertwee is third out of those three. I am a really big Peter Davison fan. I think he's probably the best one of the best actual actors um, who uh, who was in, who played the doctor in, in, in the classic series. Uh, it's, it's a toss up between uh, Davison and Patrick Troughton. I mean, just look at how much other work they got compared to Tom Baker. Um, and John Pertwee was a, a good actor too, but more of a, more of a comedy guy before that. Um, but I, I think Pertwee comes third uh, for me out of those three. Oh, Baker and Davison. That's, I think I have to rank Baker above Davison, but I like Davison better. So if I'm ranking them an overall Doctor Who quality, it's Baker. Um, episodes I will pop in. Some Davison ones that uh, that I would rather watch than a lot of Baker ones. Uh, 
particularly from Davison, I um, I really like his last story. The Caves of Androzani is has consistently been one of the you know best Doctor Who stories of any era. Um, favorite Tom Baker story? Ooh, it's got to be um, it's got to be the Ark in Space. Although I really like his last season, it was that, that sort of change to the more '80s style, and I, I do like that that uh, season seven, uh, 18, even though a lot of people um, don't. Uh, Pertwee, favorite Pertwee story? That's a tough one. I, uh, I I love all four stories from his first season because they're just so different than what would come later once they introduce the master and he he starts leaving Earth again. Um, but. Uh, I, I think if I had to pick one Pertwee story that I, I like better than all the others, it would probably be Carnival of Monsters. So yeah, Doctor Who, Doctor Who ranking. Uh, and have you ever seen the short-lived British sci-fi show Sapphire and Steel? If so, thoughts? Yes, I have seen Sapphire and Steel. I have the DVDs. I have listened to some of the licensed audios. Um, I uh, I have read books about Sapphire. I love Sapphire and Steel. Um, it, it's... Very strange, but uh, David McCallum and Joanna Lumley are amazing in it. Um, and uh, the other guy who shows up, oh, I can't remember names. He's Silver. I can't remember the actor, but he's been in some Doctor Who stuff too. Um, but really, really good show. Worth checking out uh, for science fiction fantasy strangeness and if you don't like shows that are continuity heavy with loads of info dumps this is the show for you because even by the end of the series we know very very little about um about what's going on with these characters they work for some sort of higher authority they are powered to mess with time and to fix time it's it's very very fascinating and strange um the very last episode the, the very la- actually the very last scene of the last episode of the show is um is, is kind of haunting so yep sapphire and steel highly recommended i think it's on the uh, shout factory app uh, shout factory has an app where you can watch a bunch of stuff um free with ads so i'm pretty sure it's on shout factory and a follow-up to the uh, the question about Henry Wallace from the last episode. Would he still have dropped the bombs? I think no. So we, would we still have had a, a saucer flap? Okay, so there's a lot of – a um, couple of things here. One is is the the belief or the assumption or the the idea that the saucer era, the, the modern saucer era, was in, in some way you know connected to – um, to the atomic bomb. And I mean, that's a very, I, I have a lot of, um, sympathy and a, a agreement with that position. Just look at the, um, the, the role that fear of, um, nuclear war played in, in contact things. So without the atomic bomb, do we still have a saucer flap? Um, I think we do, but I think it is, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think we do, but I think it's different. In what way it's different? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, as to uh, the question of whether or not a President Henry Wallace would have used the atomic bomb in Japan as uh, as Truman did, I, 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 I do not think he would have used it. I think it would have been used at some point. I maybe by Wallace, maybe by a successor to Wallace, but I, I do not think that Wallace in August of 1945 probably would have dropped uh, dropped the bomb. And if I was, you know, investing a huge amount of research into answering these questions, I would look up Wallace's, you know, writings or speeches in, in reaction to the atomic bomb, uh, which might give me a bigger clue. But my gut says no. Um, but my gut also says he might have had to use it in some other context at some time, which is kind of a cop-out answer, but there we go. Another question from Lester. Um, what is your favorite hoax or scam? Uh, gotta echo my earlier response. It's gotta be Reinhold Schmidt. It, it's, it's just gotta be Reinhold Schmidt. Just the, the, the boldness and the, um, sort of bravado with which he discussed his claims. The film, there's a film, my gosh, there's a 
film, which you can now own as part of the Ron Ormond uh, Blu-ray box set. Uh, mine is on the way. I'm very excited. Uh, so Reinhold Schmidt, absolutely. Um, after that, uh, I think we can consider it a hoax that great uh, Area 51 call to Art Bell on the Area 51's open line episode, I think September 11th, 1997, where the guy was like screaming and paranoid and on the run. And then the satellite loses earth lock. And that was just, um, that was just fun as well. And, um, I think, uh, yes, it's a, um, we're sort of finishing up with a, 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 a Lester extravaganza. Um, he also asks, did Adamski and his Royal order of Tibet have any, connection with Catherine Tingley, uh, the Purple Mother, and her branch of the Theosophical Society. His cosmic philosophy is rather like, like, like Theosophy's universal brotherhood. Um, I don't know about a connection, a connection, a connection to uh, Tingley in particular, but, uh, but yeah, very, very influenced by, uh, by, by uh, Theosophy. And, um, his final questions uh, question. What are, what are some ufological novels? I like Martians in Maggoty by Joan Hess. I have that one. Um, I think you mentioned it in email previously, Lester. Um, I, I got it. I haven't read it yet, but it looks, uh, it looks like fun. It's part of a whole series of books that could be considered cozy mystery type things. A small town, um, small town sheriff solving mysteries. I, I, think is um is how it is and of, of course the the sheriff this small town sheriff is a young woman from the town it, it's it looks like it looks like fun so ufological novels i think my um my favorite is and i think the the best one probably is Di- a journal of a ufo investigator by david halperin it's um it, it's very much I think it's, it's sort of autobiographical to a degree. Um, it's set in the, I believe the sixties, young teenage UFO investigator. And, uh, it, that one, that one is, is great. If you haven't read uh, journal of a UFO investigator, um, I think that's the name. I don't think it's diary. I think it's journal. Be sure to check that one out. Actually check out anything David Halperin writes. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I just bought um, a book on Kindle from a Facebook ad um, because it had a flying saucer on the cover. And I like the title. The title is On Earth As It Is On Television. And I, I think that has some UFO content as well. Again, I haven't uh, haven't read that. Um, I haven't been reading much. I don't know. I, I went through like a few months of just not reading anything that wasn't just scrolling on the internet. Um, and stuff for the podcast, which isn't healthy at all. So I need to get back to, um, to some heavy, heavy reading, or I'm not going to hit my, I don't know, hundred books for the year or whatever I want to do. Um, unless I start loading in some comic books that might work. And our final question from Gloria, she says, choose three UFO figures to have over for dinner, living or deceased, but no pseudo aliens like valiant thor or ebe what would you ask them to talk about what would you serve them to eat okay that is really really an interesting question and my opinion on this has has shifted back and forth quite a bit but i'm currently reading um when we were on vacation um the saucer wife can drive a long way but if she's a passenger she gets kind of car sick and can't really do anything so she tends to drive and i tend to to read or and navigate and things like that and so I was, I was reading on um vacation recently and i uh, was reading flying saucer pilgrimage by bryant and helen reeve and this is an extensive account of how this uh retired couple got involved in the ufo scene in detroit back in the 1950s and went on an epic road trip across the United States and into Mexico, meeting a huge number of contactees, which is, um, which is right up my street. Uh, they, they seem like wonderful people, a little, a little credulous, um, which you would sort of have to be, but so they would be, they would be, um, 
um, one of my guests, and I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit with the number three because they are an authorial unit who wrote this book. So I'm counting them as um, as as one. Um, and then basically because everything, no, and I didn't know this about Flying Saucer Pilgrimage or Bryant and Helen Reeve when I first heard about the book and bought it. I didn't know they were Detroit people. I, I didn't know they were part of that Detroit Flying Saucer Club scene. You know, the, some of the first people to bring um, contactees like Adamski and um, Truman Bethram and Buck Nelson to a wider audience. And Bryant and Helen Reeve were the money people behind some of these first things. So everything seems to always loop back around to the Detroit Flying Saucer Club in some ways and, and those people associated with it. So I think I would like the Reeves. I would like Laura Mundo, of course, who was part of that scene. And uh, a guy, we, we've mentioned him here and there, Henry Madde, who was um, a, a big sort of mover and shaker in that 1950s Detroit flying saucer scene. So I would just like to talk to them about how they all got interested in this and what they were into before this that might give us some idea about how these these sort of suburban I think most of them did live in the the very sort of very near to Detroit suburbs, not the ones like a county away. But um how how these these suburban 1950s generally middle-aged people um, got into this uh, to the degree of fronting money to bring these people to town to um, to, to give to give talks um, talks that that had hundreds and in some cases thousands of people there it's it's pretty amazing and um, kind of uh, gets lost in, in in the idea that that ufology was this sort of small time thing until NICAP and crash saucers and and whatever gets uh, gets involved so i would like to talk to those detroit flying saucer people as for what i would serve them i'm not aware of any dietary restrictions they have so i would probably <laughs> i would probably um use homer uh not homer simpson um simpson j hanover the third's recipe for um for the uh the, the marinated uh, the marinated chicken that uh, that he got from uh, that he he drew inspiration from from um, the uh, the Janos people. So I, I, I think it was the Janos people. Um, that's that's what I would that's what I would serve them. Okay, I think that's the end of the questions. Apologies if I missed anything. I think my screen capturing was pretty uh, pretty thorough, but you never know. Thanks for listening. The Saucer Life is associate produced by Simpson J. Hanover III. Um, the address is saucerlife.com. I still don't have my usual script in front of me. Um, it's a production of Chizo Media LLC. Uh, Chizo Media. Our, our, our heart is with the people. That. <laughs> That's the catchphrase. Until next time, keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you.